There's nothing like my Sleep Number bed. I love it. And the Sleep Number bed lets me choose the comfort and support that's just right for me. It adjusts on each side, so it's the perfect bed for couples. Now there's the amazing new Sleep Number 360 bed. It's so smart, it actually senses your every move and automatically adjusts to you, so you stay sleeping comfortably throughout the night. And did you know many of us fall asleep faster if our feet are gently warmed? The Sleep Number 360 bed can even pre-warm each side of the bed. Does your bed do that? My Sleep Number setting is 90. My Sleep IQ score last night was 81. Come in during the biggest sale of the year where all the beds are on sale, including the new Sleep Number 360 smart beds. Plus, save 50% on an innovative limited edition bed now through Labor Day. You'll only find Sleep Number at any of the 550 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find one nearest you. Call 1-800-390-9100 or visit sleepnumber.com and be sure to tell them George Norrie sent you. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. As America's leading pro-victim rights and personal safety advocate, Tim Larkin is used to his fair share of controversy. After being named the 2011 Self-Defense Instructor of the Year and simultaneously inducted into the Black Belt Hall of Fame, He ended the year by taking on the United Kingdom's Home Secretary and getting banned from the U.K. for a stand on a citizen's right to defend themselves there from violence. And currently, Tim is appealing that decision from the U.K. government, and his speaking engagements have never been more pointed and engaging as violent crime rises all over the place and economic weakness causes severe cutbacks in police forces in the Western world. Here's Tim Larkin on Coast to Coast what a great time to have you on the show, Tim. Welcome. Thank you for having me, George. I appreciate it. I wanted to get your deck because your book is When Violence is the Answer, and a lot of that has to do with personal things for people, which we'll get into. But I, I want to tie that into North Korea for a moment. Um, this guy has been pushing and pushing and pushing. Eventually, I predict, we're going to have to do something violent to stop him. Does that fit your criteria for this? Yeah, it, it's really, you know, my criteria on the personal side is probably the same same criteria that I have for, you know, when you look at national situations uh, and international situations. It's it's really when you get to the point to where we're devoid of choice, which is we're getting very close with North Korea. Um, when he's, you know, doing the aggressive missile launches and then, you know, upping the ante with hydrogen, um, you know, bombs, you're, you're to the point to where, you're forced into a corner. You know, Nikki Haley said it, you know, he's basically begging for war. That's right. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to respond. And the question is, there's just a lot, you know, there's a lot of consequences to responding. That, that was a, one of the situations when I was in the military we looked at. This, this problem has been worked many times over. I have the greatest confidence that we have a very good plan. It's just being able to control the the ultimate outcome is going to be the difficulty. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm afraid the outcome is not going to be pleasant, but uh, a necessity. Absolutely. So the name of the I, book is "When Violence Is the Answer." Tell me about that title because that tells you everything. Yeah, I specifically used the term violence, um, and it was it was controversial. It was controversial with uh, my publisher. Um, they fought me on it. Um, they thought it was too harsh. They thought they thought violence. You know, they, and they look at it purely from a marketing standpoint. You know, they want to sell books, and I, I completely appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they felt it was going to be much harder to get a book with violence in the title. You know, um, to the uh, 
um, to the stands that they wanted to get it to and the vendors they wanted to get it to. Um, it wasn't until the Pulse nightclub and San Bernardino shootings happened uh, that they quickly saw, you know, just how prevalent this was in, in you know, the U.S. And, and then, of course, you know, since then we've had all the other attacks. And, and it's specifically the, what I've been talking about all along is the idea that the mind is the most powerful you know, tool that we have. That, that's our most powerful weapon. And you can't control the mind, meaning you can't ban the mind, you can't, you know, uh, you can't, you can't outlaw it. And the intent to do harm is there. And, and what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of uh, organizations use the idea of low-tech um, implementation of violence with a high concept. You know, me, being able to take something as easy as a, um, you know, a, a you know, chef's knife and turn it into an act of terror, and something as simple as a car or a truck, right. and turn it into something, everyday implements that you can't control, and they know damn well you can't control it. Um, that, that is one of the things that people um, really get uncomfortable with. It, you know, we want things that we can control. We want things that we can, we can say, okay, we can you know, put gun control on here and feel good about this. Um, that's, that's the problem with you know, the intent to do harm, and we're seeing more and more, and we don't have an answer because we've stigmatized the study of violence, and we've said that it's really, you know, that, that even to look at the subject makes you criminal, and therefore, you know, the only people that have access to it truly are the predators of a society or, you know, like our first responders. The citizens, law-abiding citizens, really, they've had that taken away from them. They've had, mm-hmm. you know, a basic right of self-defense taken away from them. That's, I, I was just going to say that the the bad guys are the ones that are uh, using violence against the good guys because right now the good guys really aren't fighting back, are they? Well, no, and that's that's just it. It's you know the uh, it's well-meaning. Meaning the laws are well-meaning. Uh, you know, especially you know in the UK, the UK is uh, even you know more severe than the US on on self-defense. Um, but you know, really, what's happening is they. The governments really want you to basically just acquiesce to first responders. They they are very uncomfortable with the idea of personal liberty and the idea of um, you know the citizens being their own first responders. And I'm talking in a justified manner. I'm not talking in a vigilante manner or in anything crazy like that. I'm talking about a situation where they're facing imminent grievous bodily harm. They're devoid of choice. If they don't take action, they're going to essentially be participating in their own murder. And, you know, under those conditions, that's when violence is the answer. And unfortunately, right now, very few of us have anything in the toolbox. We've been told that, you know, um, you know that we can't look at this subject. And, and, you know, that's the whole point behind talking about the subject. My, my whole goal is just to let people know that talking about violence, and I talk about violence as a tool, how you use the tool will be determined whether it was justified use of the tool or if it was a criminal use of the tool. I'm not worried about those that are going to use it as a criminal use of the tool, nor am I worried about them getting any new information right. from anything that they I'm already know about. it all anyway. Absolutely. And the people that really need it are the people, like in this audience, you know, law-abiding citizens that are going about their lives, and should they ever face one of these situations, you know, they, they should have as access to the tool as much as the predator has it. So your definition, Tim, of violence could also be self-defense. Yeah, it, it, self-defense is what happens after an act of violence. It's determined whether, meaning, 
if you think about it just in general, I'm not a lawyer, but I mean, I've had a lot of attorneys, you know, I've worked with a lot of attorneys on this. And essentially, we're never, the law is never okay with an act of violence in and of itself. What happens is they look at an act of violence and they say, okay, was this, all things considered, was this a justified use of violence? Was this person truly in need of self-defense? And so self-defense is, is really something that is determined after the fact. There's very little information, though, when we, there's lots of information after the act of violence, and there's a lot of information up to the act of violence. You know, really coming up to, you look at things like anger management, conflict resolution, all of those things. When it gets to the physical plane and people are actually in the act of violence, that's where there's just very little good information for people if they're trying to save their lives. And that, that's really what I focus on, focus on at that point. But you're absolutely right, you know, after the fact, it is self-defense. That is what I am advocating. I'm advocating using violence for your own self-defense. Let me ask you this possibility and tell me how you would handle this. And let's assume you're a concealed weapons permit holder in whatever state you're living in. You're walking at night down the sidewalk, and a couple thugs come up to you. Uh, they pull out knives, and they say, give me your wallet or I'm going to stab you. And you've got that gun on you, and you've, you've got access to that gun. It's right there in your pocket and maybe your hand's there. The question is, do you pull out that gun right away and start shooting, or do you just hand them the wallet and hope they just walk away and you don't want to get involved in the shooting, even though you have that gun with you? What do you do? That's, a, that's an outstanding question because it really highlights the idea of antisocial aggression versus asocial violence. What we're talking about in the scenario that you just talked about is antisocial aggression. What I mean by that is there's still communication going on. It's unpleasant, but there's communication going on. You have the choice at that point to utilize your communication skills to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, if you truly think, I can tell you, I can give you examples of people that, in the scenario that you just gave me, that they said, you know what, I think this is just a robbery. They fully understood they were taking a risk, but they complied, and the person left. Other people said there was just something wrong about this guy. I didn't feel right about this. There was some, I didn't believe it was just a robbery, and they took action. Right. Um, and so I, I counsel people all the time that, um, it, you know, oftentimes it gets a bad rap, but it, it's really, you know, the nonverbal communication that goes on within your, within your body. You know, we call it our sixth sense, call it whatever you want, but really it's just nonverbal cues. We've had these, these instincts in us, you know, for thousands of years. If your body's screaming at you that something's wrong internally, you need to pay attention to that. And when I've talked to people in after-action situations, that was the difference. If that was triggered in somebody, they took action. If they had, you know, if they had a concealed carry or, or something, they, they took action and they used violence to protect themselves. Then there are just as many other people that didn't get that trigger felt it was okay, and said, you know what, this is just a robbery. I'm going to go ahead and comply, give him what he wants, and then let them, you know, let them leave. The problem with that, I, I think, Tim, is if, if the person's wrong in his assumption that this guy is just going to grab my wallet and leave and he's holding this knife on me, uh, if you're wrong, you could get killed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you and know, this, I, on, this on, is where the, the, the story that I like to tell everybody in a situation like that, there was a situation in London uh, approximately, uh, well, now it was 12 years ago, a young lawyer uh, was leaving and uh, leave, leaving the tube station and decided to walk through a, a nicer part of London. It wasn't a bad part of London, but he decided it was 11 o'clock at night and decided to walk through a park to his condo. Sounds dicey, but it really wasn't. It's actually a very nice area of town. 
Uh, two guys followed him into the park. They threw him up against a tree, put knives to his throat, demanded his watch, wallet, his briefcase. He was a young lawyer, gave them everything, and they left. And everybody loves that part of the story because he did everything that Metropolitan right. Police told you, Doe, and all that. Problem was, they came back. Now, when they came back, their heads were down, their knives were drawn, they ran him down, and they stabbed him to death. You mean like they, they had, left and came back that same moment? Back, and, and, and it came to the point to where they, the, the two guys left, then one guy looked at the other and said, hey, he saw our faces, yep. we, probably shouldn't, yep. we probably shouldn't let him walk away. That was as much thought as they put into it. Then they came back, and, the same, and when they came back the second time, it was a very different profile. They came back with no communication whatsoever. It was in an asocial profile, and that's what I try to counsel people about. In, in the book, we talk about it, the idea of understanding the difference between antisocial aggression, where there is some communication, and then absolutely when it's asocial, the only, situa- the only tool that's going to get you out of there is violence, and you're going to have to use that. Yeah, exactly. and that's really what helps save people's lives. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.